coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Tuesday to you. It is gorgeous here in the city of Atlanta. You would walk outside and enjoy the 80-degree weather and the sunshine and, and not think that... The city is squabbling within itself that Washington is an absolute disaster right now, politically speaking. It's just a beautiful day. So I have been trying to get myself out, get some of that vitamin D, and come in with the right mindset to come in and do this show. Because there's so much going on that I spend 44 minutes talking to you about or having conversations with others about that... When the show's over and I've sent it up to the Dropbox gods so that it'll air on America One Radio and then piece it to podcast, some days I'm just like, <laughs> what a mess. What an absolute mess. Uh, there's so much to get into today. Uh, I want to start with a story that I haven't had a chance to talk to you guys much about. What with everything going on in Washington with the cop city movement, and there's more to talk to you about that uh, a little bit later. But first things first, let's go back to, I think this was August 11th of earlier this year. Atlanta man who called 911 after being involved in a crash ends up dead after an encounter with an Atlanta police officer. Right now, the GBI is investigating the death of Johnny Hallman. The 62-year-old was a deacon at his church. 11 Alive's Cody Alcorn is live where the crashes happened. That's right. So, Cody, are there any witnesses, any video of this encounter between the officer and Hallman? Oh, there's video. There's absolutely video. We're just not going to see it for as long as the Atlanta Police Department deigns we don't need to see it. They've decided for us we don't need to see it. Let me let the reporter do his bit. Well, Ron and Jennifer, as you know, APD officers wear body cameras, but mm -hmm. as of tonight, that video has not been released. And APD says, in fact, a witness helped this officer get Holman into custody right here behind me. But so far, that witness has not yet come forward. A two-car crash on Thursday night set off a deadly chain of events. He had called the police. He was there waiting. At the intersection of Cunningham Place and Joseph E. Lowry, APD says their officer on scene determined Johnny Hallman was at fault. As he was issuing him a citation, APD says Hallman became, quote, agitated and uncooperative. I don't know what really happened. Arnitra Hallman says her dad called her from the scene. Arnitra says she rushed to the intersection. Just trying to get to him. She stayed on the phone. He was like, help me, I can't breathe, help me. And he was like, why would you um, do an old man like me like that? Why would you do me like that? By the time she pulled up to the scene... Was that him on the ground? They were doing, trying to revive him. Mm. Now, just before that, APD says Hallman and that officer were struggling here behind me. Arnitra says that her dad suffers from severe asthma. At some point, APD says the officer tased Hallman, and that's when the witness jumped in and helped him 
put Holman into cuffs. It was at that point the officer realized Holman was unresponsive and called for help, but it was too late. The GBI now investigating this as a use of force investigation. Our thanks to uh, WXIA 11 Alive here in Atlanta for that report. Again, haven't had a chance to really talk much about this situation. And it's been obviously more than a month since Mr. Hallman passed. It's, in fact, coming up on two months in about a week. So it's within the scope that we're having this large debate about public safety training and how much to expend on it and where we should be spending for such a facility if such a facility is needed. And I think we have heard from many on both sides of the aisle who, in near unanimity, agree that the city of Atlanta needs a new public safety training facility, not necessarily where it's targeted to be built in an environmentally impacted area outside city limits, in DeKalb County. But I do think it's fair to say that most outside of the ACAB types on the extremes, that there is near universal agreement that the city does need a new public safety training facility. Maybe just not $90 million worth of one on a shiny new near like military base style footprint. But let me get back to the Hallman story. I just find it interesting that we're having this discussion about public safety training, and I don't, I don't understand how a large campus would have done better at preventing Mr. Hallman from being tased and passing away in August. Matt Scott at the Atlanta Community Press Collective filed this story, uh, I believe, today. I will share it in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Here's some irony. The headline, City is using the Tehran homicide case to justify not releasing the Johnny Holman video. Isn't that something? Here's the story. On Saturday, around 200 people joined the family of Johnny Holman in a march on Atlanta City Hall to demand the public release of body camera footage of Holman's death at the hands of Atlanta Police Department officer Kiran Kimbrough in August. But new guidance from city attorney indicates that footage of Holman's death or any other footage of future police violence, will not see the light of day for months after the encounter. For months after an encounter. The city appears to be using previous requests about a January police homicide case, Matt Scott writes, from the Georgia Attorney General's Office and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to justify not releasing footage that could cause public uproar and protest. The article continues, in response to a question about the city's plan to release the Hallman footage asked by Council Member Michael Julian Bond during a presentation at Monday's Public Safety Committee meeting. In fact, we have this audio. Let's listen to the question and to City Attorney Nina Hickson's response. I know that I have seen uh, or have heard and been contacted uh, by the associates of the deacon who was tased a couple of weeks ago on the traffic stop. I know that there have been some concerns about accessing the uh, body cam video. I know that his, I believe it, I believe the attorneys for the family have seen a, a few minutes of it, uh, but people, I, I may not be the only one, folks have been calling 
and asking for the release of the body cam. Is there an issue with it that we need to be made aware of? Or Yes. I know a lot of times the body cam video is subject to open records, right? It is, unless there's an investigation going on. And because there's an open investigation with the GBI, um, the, it is not subject to disclosure under pursuant to the Open um, Records Act. And we've well, been specifically requested by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation not to release those along with, we've consulted with the DA and at this point they've asked us not to release those uh, items publicly until the investigations are over. Here's where it gets interesting. I'm going to get back to Matt Scott's story in the Atlanta Community Press Collective. It was unclear at the time if Hickson was referring to, specifically, the Holman footage. The Atlanta Community Press Collective, ACPC, reached out to the City of Atlanta Department of Law to request communication from those other agencies instructing the city not to release footage of Holman's killing. Atlanta Senior Attorney Amber A. Robinson responded to ACPC saying that there was no such document. Okay, that being said, let's go back to yesterday's meeting. It was City Attorney Hickson's response that actually gave City Councilman Michael Julian Bond some sense of relief because he's, as he said, hearing from a lot of people wanting to know why the video is not coming out. And he likes hearing from City Attorney Hickson that, well, it's out of the city's hands. We're being told not to. Listen to the response after he heard what he heard from the City Attorney. That's helpful to know because... And I, I don't know if that needs to be put out in a statement or, or something because people are, are thinking that we're just solely sitting on that video. But knowing that the GBI is involved and that they have asked that it not be released, I, I think that's helpful to the public. I would just add, and they have the support of the Attorney General in their uh, conclusion that this is these are um, videos that are not to be released. And- It just makes you wonder all the more what's on this video. It could be completely innocuous, right? It it could show that the police officer or the officers on the scene did everything they could. It could show that Deacon Holloman was irate and hostile and physical. It could show all of that. I don't, for the life of me, understand delaying release of the video. And the longer they hold back on it, the more questions arise, the more doubt surfaces, the more anger boils under the surface. This is a bad timing for the pro-cop city folks to have a scenario where a church deacon, a 62-year-old church deacon, let me go back, a 62-year-old African-American church deacon, Deacon gets tased by an Atlanta police officer and in custody dies. But honestly, I don't want to make Hallman's passing somehow a nugget or a, a, a tool for perpetuating the cop city argument. This is strictly about an Atlanta citizen, a 62-year-old African-American church deacon who died after a traffic accident he called 911 about in the first place. And I can't help but note the irony that we live in the city that is the cradle of the American civil rights movement, the home to Martin Luther King Jr. And after 
police-involved killings of people of color over the last decade or more pushing for cop cams to be on all officers and then for the footage to be readily available, it seems as if the elected officials and law enforcement is more concerned about the blowback so as to sort of curtail free speech that may not be kind to them. And releasing the footage does nothing to subdue or derail the investigation in the first place. Remember, this city has tens of thousands of cameras all connected to its network so that we, the people, can be informed when a criminal is on the loose and we need to know what they look like. But if the city wants citizen buy-in on that network of cameras and their new police training facility, it can't just be a tool for law enforcement. It has to be a tool for citizens' rights as well. Back after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. On a lot of squad cars, badges, police department headquarters, you'll see the phrase, to serve and protect. Not to be feared (laughs) and to intimidate, right? Never do you hear that or see that emblazoned on a squad car's fender or on the back of the trunk. We should have a reasonable expectation that if we're in a minor fender mender, we can call 911, have the officer or officers show up, file a report, and move on about our day. And there very likely could be a situation in this case with uh, the deacon, uh, Johnny Hallman, where he got irate because he didn't like what the officer had decided on the scene and could have been in some way inconsolable or upset or even physical, although that just seems unlikely. But, But still, the possibility exists, and it would exist on the video as well. I want to go back to the premise that the city has about not releasing the body cam footage. Uh, Again, the Atlanta Community Press Collective uh, covering this story uh, went back and amended their request to the city's law department to ask for any documents directing the city and APD not to release body cam footage of any events while they are under investigation from other agencies. And uh, the city attorney who uh, we played audio of in the last segment, uh, she responded with letters from the GBI and Georgia Attorney General's office sent in response to APD releasing body camera footage from its officers nearby to a Georgia State Patrol SWAT team back when uh, Manuel Tortuguita Baez Tehran was killed uh, in the Atlanta Cop City protests uh, and the skirmish that happened on January 18th. So basically what the city's premise is, they're saying, well, the GBI asked us not to release it once before, and so that's our position now until the investigation's concluded. The story continues in a February 13th letter to APD. The GBI asked the department not to release any additional APD body camera videos related to the killing of Tehran. Notably, the Bureau neither asked nor instructed the city to withhold videos in future similar situations. Next paragraph, the letter from the Georgia Attorney General's office, however, is more general or generic, I would say. It it does not mention the Tehran shooting, but provides an argument for the city to use an exemption under the Georgia Open Records Act to decline releasing records while another agency is investigating or prosecuting a case. 
while it was sent in support of the GBI's request that the city of Atlanta not release additional videos from the Tehran case, the letter also does not instruct the city of Atlanta that it should use that exemption in future cases, only that the city is entitled to that exemption if needed. Put that in air quotes. And let me be clear for those who are just unaware of this story. And again, I am so catching up to this story myself. Kiran Kimbrough, the officer involved in this situation, is an African-American officer. This is not a question of white supremacy or white nationalism behind the badge. This is an African-American officer involved in the what we can only presume is an accidental death or a death that transpired of a 62-year-old African-American church deacon while in custody of Atlanta police. Let me go back to the article and uh, read a key little segment here because this brings the family involved. Members of the Holman family and their attorneys have seen the footage in question and in a press release described Kimbrough's actions as, quote, inhumane and illegal. This description evokes similar videos that previously set off massive protests both in Atlanta and around the nation. And let's put a pin in that. Again, I want to go back to the thought I had the segment before. Is refusing to release the video about protecting the integrity of the investigation or is it about protecting law enforcement against palpable anger, frustration, blowback from the public at large. And is that a fair and good use of whatever carve-out exists in the Georgia Open Records Act to then say, "Mm, let's hang on to the video without saying in hopes that this kind of dies down a little bit until the investigation's over. At yesterday's city council meeting, this was uh, Deacon Holloman's second oldest daughter lashing out. Why would we believe GBI? GBI wear the same column of uh, Officer Carrie Kimbrough. Release the tape. I have a, I, my daddy was a deacon. He, he was a good daddy. My daddy was a grandfather of 26 grandchildren, 10 great-grandchildren. My daddy was a husband, an uncle, a father. Y'all close y'all eyes a minute and imagine this y'all daddy and see what we saw them five minutes on that tape. Y'all think we believe y'all anything y'all have to say? Release the tape. I got a, I got a son that's in 12th grade and last year on this school. Yeah. He ain't able to go to school because he can't sleep. He can't eat. I'm having to deal with that. Close your eyes for a second, all of y'all, and see what y'all feel, what we feel. Imagine if this was y'all daddy. Imagine this was y'all loved one. Y'all, y'all to see what we feel alike. That, that, my daddy been dead almost two months left, not two months. Y'all release that tape. We don't want to hear what GBI said. They, they saw what we saw. The mayor. He said transparency. What is transparency? God damn it, I'm angry. I'm hurt and I'm emotional. My children are falling apart. 
I'm falling apart. And I'm Johnny Holliman seeing I can't breathe. Mm. That is the sound of a frustrated daughter, a member of a family who just want answers and actually may have more answers than you or I, the general public, do because as the ACPC article mentions, members of Deacon John Holloman's family and their attorneys have seen the footage in question and described the officer's actions as inhumane and illegal. We're going to speak with the Atlanta Community Press Collective reporter from this story. His name is Matt Scott. We have him after the break on The Ron Show. When we return on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. I am joined for this segment with reporter Matt Scott from the Atlanta Community Press Collective. Uh, Matt, thanks for, by the way, just joining me here at the last minute. Uh, I've been trying to actually get a hold of you guys for quite a while. And I think there might be a broken link on your site somewhere because I got an email address that was wrong or something like that. It could also be completely my fault. So let me just say that. Thank you for joining me is what I want to say. Glad to be here, and I will check the uh, links on our site and see, see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no big deal. Uh, now that I know how to get a hold of you guys. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm a fan uh, of your work, uh, not just you, but the Atlanta Community Press Collective in general. You guys are out there uh, digging into the stories that a lot of the mainstream uh, journalists either don't want to, don't have the resources to, or are out chasing the other shiny objects while you guys are sticking to stories that uh, speak more to some issues that kind of fall off the radar. Yeah, that is our, our goal to try to get into the nitty gritty and uh, really address the issues of the lack of transparency that, you know, we're seeing throughout the city and and trying to get to the bottom of things and, and you know, show those uh, those stories to the public. What's so frustrating is, uh, you know, this is a, a left of center uh, show, a left of center podcast. I am a progressive. I'm, I'm of the Bernie Sanders ilk. I, I'm all about daylight. I'm all about sunlight, even when it doesn't look good for our own side. I like sunlight because I think sunlight cleanses everything. And it's frustrating to live in the bluest city in the state that just is barely, maybe perhaps sort of bluish here in an otherwise ruby red south. And this city should be the shining example uh, for, for all to see what transparency and, you know, having a forward thinking, a progressive platform, uh, you know, can deliver. And yet here we are in a scenario where we are about to spend $90 million or more on a public training facility outside city limits, not even not even within the city limits, the lack of transparency on that is sort of daunting and, and galling in and of itself. And and now, this has to be bad timing for the pro-cop city folks. We're dealing with the withholding of cop cam video of the death of a 62-year-old church deacon in the city of Atlanta. Yeah, it's uh, certainly not great timing uh, for the mayor. And, you know, even with the referendum campaign, we're now sort of seeing the city argue two different points uh, of the same law as justification for for going against the will of the people on on both sides. So in this case, 
in in the in the Deacon Hallman case, the the city is sort of hiding behind old verbiage from the GBI, correct, uh, in relation to the uh, Tortuguita Tehran killing, and the Attorney General at the time as well. I, am I reading that right? That's that, in, in the article that I'm reading today. That seems to be the premise that the city's legal department is standing behind. Yeah, so back in February, uh, I believe it was February 8th, this uh, Atlanta Police Department released uh, four body camera videos of, of uh, sort of APD officers operating in the area at the time that uh, the GSP SWAT team killed uh, uh, Pizza. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the GBI and the state attorney general's office both sent uh, letters to the city of Atlanta asking them not to release any subsequent or, or future uh, body camera footage of the incident uh, pending the outcome of, of that investigation. And very specifically, the GBI's letter did, did it was talking about that investigation. The uh, state AG's letter was a little bit more broad, but it, uh, the city is using those two letters as the grounds not to release uh, any sort of body camera footage in any situations in which there is an ongoing investigation. Uh, you know, they are saying ongoing investigations by other parties or by the city of Atlanta themselves. So what they're giving themselves is essentially carte blanche, never to release body camera footage in a situation that doesn't favor them. But of course, they have no problem releasing similar footage in situations that it does favor them. If you mm -hmm. go to uh, the Atlanta Police Department's Instagram page, there's all sorts of Constantly. videos contemporaneously yes. to incidents that are happening that are certainly under investigation. And uh, you know, uh, at the last public safety uh, committee meeting, at, uh, Council Member Antonio Lewis pointed out that the city of Atlanta had no problem releasing footage from the uh, arson at the construction site mm -hmm. back in March of the Cop City construction site. And we know that there's been an ongoing investigation into the Stop Cop City and Defend the Forest movement by outside agencies. So the city is kind of arguing both sides in order to do what it is best for the city. <sighs> As I mentioned in a prior segment on this show, the thing that sort of frustrates me is this, this almost feels like uh, an opportunity for them to, again, use some flimsy legal footing to prevent blowback uh, on law enforcement. But we live in the city that is the cradle of the civil rights movement. Peaceful protests are, are, are supposed to be, you know, uh, in, in the DNA of this city. And yet it almost feels as if not releasing this video footage that the, that the, the family has seen, that their attorneys have seen and say uh, reveals inhumane uh, activities by the officer, as if to sort of subdue uh, that right to peaceful protest. Exactly. And I, I would say um, this, the family has only seen five minutes of the video. There's apparently 36 minutes of a full video mm. that was shot uh, mm. from the body camera footage, and they've only seen five of those minutes. So there's still information that the family doesn't have uh, from the body camera footage that they've been asking for, in addition to the footage that they have seen being released to the public so that we can see what happened. Um, but all the way back in uh, the uh, in, I believe it was the end of August, uh, there was a protest for the Holman family mm -hmm. uh, where they marched from APD headquarters to City Hall, you know, just a couple blocks. Right. And they were pinned in by a line of uh, officers on, on bicycles uh, halfway through the march. And so APD has been sort of aggressively trying to 
halt or hinder any sort of protest around the, the killing of Johnny Holman. So I, you know, what it looks like we're seeing from the city's law department is just support for the Atlanta Police Department to avoid this blowback from what sounds like a pretty brutal killing. It's so funny that you mentioned this, too, because uh, I, I talked at the beginning of segment two today that most squad cars or, or police officer badges or somewhere uh, in the police department, you'll see the, the, the phrase to serve and protect, not to threaten and intimidate. And yet this this seems like open intimidation and sort of heartless to be doing this to a family of someone who is still grieving the loss of a loved one, uh, allegedly at the hands of law enforcement. It is. And, you know, this is to, to bring it back to Cop City. This is sort of what's been argued about this yes. entire time from the side of the, the Cop City activists is that this is what policing is in Atlanta. This is what policing is in the United States. And, you know, uh, a 90 million dollar training program isn't going to stop the police from intimidating the families of those that they've killed. It isn't going to stop the police from intimidating uh, people trying to express their First Amendment rights. And it certainly isn't going to stop the police from intimidating people trying to stop the creation of this $90 million facility. I'm with Matt Scott, who is with the Atlanta Community Press Collective. We were talking about the the, the city uh, opting to withhold the cop cam video from Kieran Kimbrough's lapel camera. Uh, but you also mentioned in the article that the city's actually still holding on to video for, uh, for, for crimes that aren't un- still under investigation, right? Uh, as far as we can tell, uh, the three cases that we've cited in this most recent article are all still under investigation by oh, the okay. Georgia Bureau of Investigation. There's the Nigel Collins case from Buckhead. Uh, there's a, a case uh, from September or fall, I'm sorry, of 2022 uh, that the city just voted to settle for $3.75 million that is still uh, ostensibly under a GBI investigation that have also been, you know, the city is refusing to release those body camera footage videos. Have you spoken directly with the family and the attorneys or, or, or are you getting this information from them, uh, you know, through other channels or how is this working? Uh, members of uh, the Atlanta Community Press Collective have spoken to the family. I have not personally spoken to members of the family. I've okay. uh, reached out to uh, their attorney, Mo Willie Davis, uh, to uh, you know point out what I what I had learned. And I asked a couple of questions, but didn't hear a response back from him. OK, okay. I was, I was going to throw you a question uh, about what what they can tell us that they have seen in this video that, uh, you know, outside of uh, characterizing. Uh, is there is there anything that they specifically mentioned seeing in the video that would shed some light on what happened? The the phrase inhumane treatment uh, came up in their press release and in, in testimony provided uh, yesterday during the uh, public uh, comment session at the Atlanta City Council meeting. Um, it certainly sounds like uh, the incident uh, escalated quickly and uh, Kieran Kimbrough once, uh, the way they describe it, once uh, Johnny Holman requested a supervisor. Uh, Kieran Kimbrough then escalated and tased and, and attempted to restrain uh, Deacon Holman, uh, leading to his death. Mm. Again, just the, the timing of this particular case, uh, and again, this is uh, an African-American, uh, 62-year-old church deacon. I hate to try and just you know make it sound like he's a Boy Scout, but he's a 62-year-old church deacon, for crying out loud. Uh, 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 an African-American in a, in a city that is majority-minority. The officer himself is actually an African-American male as well, so this isn't uh, an instance of you know uh, sub- subversive white supremacy or anything like that. Uh, but it does speak to, uh, again, going back to Cop City, 
to the sort of training that becomes uh, emblematic of the DNA of the makeup of law enforcement in this country and sort of put some validity behind the argument for those who don't want to see uh, a further militarization of law enforcement in this city throughout Metro Atlanta. Even we have other you know facilities uh, on the docket, uh, Henry County coming to, to mind. And of course, a still a state facility that's not even an hour away from uh, Metro Atlanta in the first place. Yeah, we're talking about, uh, I believe it's now four other facilities all within an hour driving distance from one another that are are intended to be constructed uh, in the metro area. So certainly there is no lack of of the potential for police militarization and in these sorts of, uh, you know, cop city as training sites. And, and they're all based on what you just mentioned, the the, the state uh, training center just outside of Forsyth, uh, which is what has very similar uh, you know, training grounds. I noticed uh, that at yesterday's city council meeting, uh, Marissa Pyle uh, came up and spoke about being doxxed and how, you know, before she had, you know, faced some issues with neo-Nazis and, 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 and things of that. My immediate reaction, and I signed the petition, I, I, I readily admit that I signed the petition. Um, you know, I, I, want, I want the citizens to vote on this. I wasn't so much concerned about folks having my address. I mean, okay, go for it, but uh, just don't send me junk mail. But I do understand when there are folks who are on the front lines of activism uh, at various levels, and, and Marissa's a pretty high-profile activist, uh, having her home address splashed out on a website you know, for all to see. Is, is her case unique, or, or do you get a sense that a lot of folks who have their addresses now online are quite concerned about it? I would say Marissa's case certainly isn't unique. Uh, it is common for sort of the more forward-facing or front-facing members of the Stop Cop City movement or, or you know, sort of left activism in Atlanta in general mm-hmm. have all received various levels of threats, uh, you know, mostly one-off. And you get these threats and you you understand that a lot of these threats are, are from actors who are, are not serious about going through it but all it takes is is one person to actually be committed to those threats and so now we've released the names and addresses of 116,000 people myself included and i've paid for a service to have my personal information removed from the internet mm. uh, for my own safety mm. and so now of course my information uh, as so many other people are out there and it's not just activists who are you know or the front-facing activists who are are under threat. Mm-hmm. It's those domestic violence survivors who have done their best to get away from their uh, abusive partners yes. that are now easily findable uh, because of the city's actions. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's another a, a great point to bring up. It, it, I guess this is fodder for a potential class action suit, so you can get your money back for uh, you know, for folks like you who have uh, you know paid to have that information protected from scrutiny online. There's uh, definitely certain. There's definitely going to be litigation about this uh, in some way, shape, or form. Um, there's another aspect to this uh, in which public figures have also signed on to this yes. uh, referendum, and under Georgia law, under a recently passed law, it is illegal to release the personal identifying information of public officials. That includes police officers. That includes people who work for the city, mm. and that includes uh, elected officials. And we know of at least two cases: people who work for the city and elected officials who have their information that has been released uh, by the city's action. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I, I, I know you've been covering this 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 story for, for quite a while and the Atlanta uh, Community Press Collective has been as well. I'm just kind of, I'm, my, my breath is taken away uh, quite often at just how 
poorly the city has handled the narrative on this argument. This went from being a, a quiet little disagreement, honestly, and instead of opening up dialogue and doing something substantive or even taking the bait that I think Fulton County gave, you know, a few months back when they said, you know, we want to build a facility too. Collaboration, maybe saving some taxpayer dollars. I, it's just, it just blows my mind that that off ramp exists and the, the city has just fumbled this for months now. It certainly seems that every opportunity that the city has been presented uh, to make some sort of right or wise or, or collaborative decision, they've gone the opposite direction. <laughs> right. And that has proven true time and time again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, I think it gives fodder for conspiracy theorists to wonder, like, okay, what is what does Governor uh, Brian Kemp uh, promise Mayor Dickens, or what what is uh, what's what's in it for the city? Uh, to uh, the stop Buckhead movement, uh, the Buckhead City movement was that curtailed, you know, as a as a as a quick little quid pro quo, or the city getting to hang on to the airport? These are the sort of things that just kind of bubble up in in uh, conversations with conspiracy theorists. Anyway, Matt Scott, Atlanta Community Press Collective. Again, I love the work you guys are doing, and uh, I I keep sharing your stuff as often as possible. Thank you for joining me and talking about this today on the Ron Show. Thanks for having me on. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday, and well, we don't have a house speaker anymore. <laughs> All uh, any 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 good vibes we had from hey, we saved uh, the country from the throes of shutdown hours before shutdown on Saturday is by Tuesday completely. <sighs> so now the clock's ticking. We've got like what 42, 43 days uh, before. Uh, another continuing resolution or, or, or funding package comes together to keep the government functioning beyond uh, the end of November. Oh, so into the holiday season. Ah, oh, la 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 la. Uh, yeah. The uh, house speaker, Kevin McCarthy, former house speaker, Kevin McCarthy voted out um, when Democrats did not come to his aid. And can you, can you blame them? I mean, I, I guess there's the holdout, the the hope that maybe they can get Hakeem Jeffries some of the moderate votes within the GOP. I mean, otherwise, we may not have a Speaker of the House. And 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 keep this in mind, uh, it it took it was a it was a marathon day to get him elected. Right, a lot of uh, bargaining and and and, and dickering uh, just within GOP ranks to get that to happen. Democrats are not going to offer anybody on the right a vote. They'll all vote for Hakeem Jeffries, which again makes you wonder, can they just peel off a handful of uh, Republicans in some of those swingy districts that uh, feel like it might be in their best interest to vote for some sort of normalcy in governance? I'm totally speculating here. Or... Is this now where the Democratic Party works on some of those moderate Republicans to switch parties and vote in Hakeem Jeffries to preserve uh, not just governance, but also, of course, of course, and probably first in their minds, uh, their ability to draw a paycheck as uh, a congressperson? Mm. We live in some really strange times. We also had, uh, uh, let's see, a, a judge... Uh, put a gag order on Donald Trump. Good luck keeping that guy quiet. <laughs> uh, reading from the article uh, at thehill.com, Judge Arthur Ingerin issued the gag order barring Trump and any party in the case from posting or speaking publicly about members of his staff. 
He had to do this after Trump released personally identifying information about the principal clerk on a Truth Social post while the hearing was underway. The uh, trial judge did so without naming Donald Trump, by the way, addressed the court on the matter saying, quote, one of the defendants posted a disparaging, untrue, and personally identifying post about a staff, and though the judge ordered it deleted, it had been emailed out to, quote, millions of other recipients. He said, personal attacks on members of my court staff are not appropriate, and I will not tolerate it under any circumstances. He added that he warned counsel off the record about the former president's comments yesterday, but the warning went unheeded. Again, back to the Hill. Uh, In a truth social post that went up while Trump was sitting in the courtroom today, Trump targeted Ingerin's principal law clerk, who was sitting just a few feet away, calling her, quote, Schumer's girlfriend, and reposting a picture of her alongside Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, a fellow New York Democrat. Uh, Back to the Hill. It is unclear what connection, if any, Schumer has with the clerk. Schumer's office has not responded to a request for comment from the Hill. Trump's campaign also sent out an email shortly after the Truth Social Post Tuesday while the court was on a lunch break that lambasted the judge himself. The gag order came after the court session resumed following a longer-than-expected lunch break. I can't imagine why that lunch break was longer than expected, right? I'm sorry. This is delicious. This is uh, part Lord of the Flies, part Animal Farm. If you've read either or both books, I think you get what I'm, where, I'm, where I'm going with this. We, we have let the idiocracy take over one party, one of the two major parties in this country. And while they do not have a majority of that party, they have just enough to wield just enough damaging influence to the point now that, uh, again, we're on the brink here of having a completely stalled... <laughs> legislative branch of government at the federal level. Meanwhile, we've got the ketchup thrower who used to serve as president of the United freaking States who has to be told not to post on social media. While you're in court, you dumbass. Oh my God. It's like a teen. Put your phone down. Put your phone away. Put your phone down. Hey, you're at dinner. Put your phone down. Hey. It's like having a 14-year-old except the 14-year-old used to be president of the United States and is in his late 70s. Yo, I don't care what any polling says right now. I really don't. I, I just, I, I, like, I, I certainly obviously hope that something can work itself out in the House so that we get some semblance of normalcy uh, within our legislative branch. And, and maybe that means, again, twisting some, twisting some arms and maybe winning some converts over within the Republican people who, who are just right there, center-right, who are just sick of the circus. Just for the for the for the time being, become an independent caucus with Hakeem, and you know, do what you will. I, I you know, I don't I don't know. I, I I'm not here to help Republicans out. Uh, I, I'm here to offer whatever thoughts I have to keep this country in the hands of sane people uh, who are elected to office, and we are in woefully short supply of that. All I know is what's going on in the House right now, and the perpetuation of the Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Matt Gates and the Jim Jordans and the Lauren Boebert in the theater and Donald Trump in court being told like a 14-year-old, stop posting on social media while you're in court, you petulant brat. This is all painting a picture that makes Democrats 
looks so palpable, so desirable in leadership positions. Because whether you do agree or don't agree with democratic policies, you have to admit, one side seems to keep their sh** together. They tend to work better together. Joe Manchin and Kristen said, well, she's not, no, she's not a Democrat anymore. But she, you know, Joe Manchin, what is it, like 86% of the time he and Joe Biden? I mean, we'll take it. I tell people all the time on the left, don't get crazy about Joe Manchin because getting rid of Joe Manchin in West Virginia means a Republican senator. Work with the guy if you can get 86% of what you want out of him. Anyway, it just makes the Democratic Party look but like a desirable choice and a choice of only two, right? It's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, and then afterwards, wherever you podcast, get more. RonShowATL.com for show notes. We'll see you tomorrow.